Hello and welcome. This is Vanessa Graulich, and today we're going to talk about the math behind Venezuela. What happened in Venezuela? Let's do some math. I want to go ahead and share these two articles that I felt did a great job of what has happened in Venezuela. So let me go ahead and click here, share. I hope I got, hold on, let me show you first. Okay, what happens? No, este. <laughs> it's this one, yes. Okay, let me just do it really quick. Ooh, sorry. Okay, share screen. There we go. It's party. Okay. This happens sometimes when you are older like me. Okay, so I really enjoyed this one and we're gonna start with this one because this article gives you the timeline and it shows you a graph of basically what is the Dutch disease. So the title, the title of the article is How Venezuela Caught an Incurable Case of Dutch Disease. And this is basically where it starts. In 1922, oil is discovered in Venezuela. And then of course from there, Venezuela in 1922, they didn't have the resources to manage the oil. And this is when Standard Oil, Gulf, and Royal Dutch come to Venezuela and they said, don't worry about it, we'll do it for you. And they go and they go and they go. And then here uh, the article says, by the 1930s, an economic doctor will diagnose some Dutch disease. Oil had quickly climbed to 90% of Venezuela's exports and taking the value of the Bolivar up with it. The Bolivar is the, um, the coin, well, I don't know the coin, the currency Venezuela has. Now I don't even think <laughs> we have a Bolivar. I think it is, but a lot of everything has just been dollarized. So then, then what happens is as a result, exports became more expensive while imports, imports were cheaper. So that's already a problem. So when that happens, when your exports become more expensive and your imports become cheaper, this is part of the disease. Think about this. They discover oil, right? In the 30s, all of a the sudden, they just said, but wait, we can make way much more money with oil. You drop everything else and then you just concentrate all of your revenue basically on oil. No different than someone that has maybe like a bunch of uh, streams of revenue. Let's say they have Bitcoin stocks, real estate, and then all of a the sudden they get Litecoin. I'm just making a, a, an example. And they take all their money and everything and they just put it in Litecoin. And they make money and Litecoin goes up, goes up. And then all of a the sudden the price drops. And you basically, because you only had one thing generating revenue, that's exactly what is a Dutch disease. You think about it, this happens in households. How many friends have you met that when you talk to them, you're like, how do you live and how do you make this money and drive this car and not within, in an envy part or anything like that? Just thinking economically what they do versus how they spend, you know, whatever you know from there. The exact same thing here. Now, this is basically, and I love this, this graph right here, the oil production high went. Look at this, 1965, right? It starts going up, and then look, Venezuela nationalizes the oil industry, and this happens in the, I think this happens in the 60s. 1976, Venezuela creates PDVSA, which stands for Petróleos de Venezuela. And then from there, Obviously, you know, 1976, they say, uh, people, get out. The Venezuela now becomes 
part of the Venezuelans, uh, you know, pockets. And that's basically when you nationalize something. You say like, okay, now if you want to go through the oil, you have to go through the government. Then you can see here that the oil production, the Venezuela nationalizes the oil country. It takes time, of course, because you're basically telling people like, look, just get out, now I'm going to take over. Notice how this all goes down, it goes all down. So there's like a decrease from 1973 all the way to 1985. And then from 1985, and this is when I was five years old, all the way to 1998 when Hugo Chavez is elected, look at the nice increase of oil production. So when Hugo Chavez takes the country, he's just basically taking like a really nice turkey of Thanksgiving that no one else can eat but him. So imagine that. And this is exactly when the disease starts to get worse. Now, when Hugo Chavez takes over and, you know, he has all this money and when you have all this money and you, you are charismatic, you basically now go to the country and you say, we're going to improve the public services. Now the money, the oil money is actually going to go into your pockets and that, 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 that. I mean, I don't know. And you can always Google him. I'm pretty sure there's like a lot of, you know, the stuff that he, <laughs> that he talked at that time. And then what happens? Well, the price of the oil starts crashing down. Why the start of the, the oil, the price of the oil starts crashing down? Well, there are other factors, foreign policy, the, there's other countries that, you know, are modernizing, including the United States. They are saying like, okay, you know what? We actually need to start like also producing our own oil. And, you know, other economics also start basically investing in the same thing as oil production. And this is basically when now Venezuela is not as special to put it away and the oil price starts decreasing. And then the article says, after Hugo Chavez dies from cancer in 2013, Nicolas Maduro continues his policies and Dutch disease intensifies. So Chavez passes the power to Nicolas Maduro. You can Google him too, believe me, <laughs> you're not gonna be surprised. And then you're basically giving all of these problems, it's just getting into a household that is in shambles and just getting a bus driver and say like, you figure it out, take the keys. That's exactly how it happened. And this is when things started getting really, really bad. Now, these leaders in Venezuela have this machinery, right? And they're just drying it, drying it, drying it. When I say drying it, they will basically subsidize all their, you know, economies in, in South America because that way you establish power. You, you know, if you have your household and then you start giving money to your neighbors, of course, they're going to say like, sure, do whatever you want. That's exactly. So if you think about it, when you're, when you're talking about a country and all of the neighbors, it's exactly like when you have a little household and you have other houses around. So, you know, the oil is up, you have all this money, you have a nice neighbor and you're like, can I park the car in your, well, no, let me just give you a little bit of money for you to go to the groceries. And you start buying everyone off, you're going to be the most popular neighbor in the neighborhood. That's exactly what happened. And then when you do something wrong, then the other neighbors are going to say, nope, I didn't see anything. So, of course, everything started collapsing because if Venezuela starts collapsing, then the money that you started giving to your neighbors, then your neighbors don't even know how to also, you know, produce that money. 
and then you have this clash and the problems that we currently have in South America come, unfortunately, in my opinion, from the Dutch disease. Now, listen what happens here. Venezuela political leaders diminish the power of the market through price ceilings. In economics, here you're going to see that you have, um, so here you have the demand, the quantity of demand, and here you have the quantity supply. When they intercept, you're going to have the balance. I'm sorry, not the balance, the equilibrium. But what happens? If, if I go and I tell you, look, I want you, what, what they call a uh, price ceiling, right? In classic economics, and let me just read it from here. Classic economics, the price ceiling trade-off is between price and quantity. By keeping price low, we create a shortage. When you remove the ceiling price, when, the, when you remove the ceiling, price moves up to the equilibrium point that the market determines. So then, of course, you create also what is called a black market. But look what happens here. The government, so you have a store, and I remember at that time we had a hardware store in Venezuela. My mom, uh, you know, still had, this is basically through the whole crisis. And then in the store, you will have to sell this, this watch, for example, to a consumer, and just put an example, for $5. But the next day, if you wanted to buy again, you know, the same inventory, it will be worth $15. So there was, it was so volatile because you have now inflation basically eating you that you start going crazy then you start having hyperinflation then things start collapsing so it's not different this is not different like i said like a household that they were like five kids to put it like that and they all went to private schools and they, each one of them had a, a nice car and then the father goes to jail and then all of a the sudden they are like wow what do we do we're in the street it's exactly like that and then you, when you cannot rebuild an industry like oil, and this is a very expensive industry, it's very profitable too, but I feel like when you don't keep up with the technology, when you don't understand what to do, this is exactly what happens. So yes, was the government the problem? Of course it was the problem because inefficiencies, this is exactly what happened. Now, let me go ahead and now share and show you this other article that I found incredible. This is called The Devastating Venezuelan Crisis. Here, basically, in this article, the author, and he did such a great job that at the end of the article, you have like the peers basically telling him like, wow, this is one of the best articles about how he explained the situation, you know, in a very objective manner, how he put all of the knots together of basically what happened in Venezuela. So I want to read you a little bit of the abstract. And it says here, the Venezuelan crisis is, is uh, filling the headlines and truly deserves the world's attention. By the way, this was written in 2019, probably before the pandemic. So whatever you're going to read here now increase the worst numbers because God knows what really the statistics are. And basically here, um, he says, the country suffers a severe humanitarian crisis. Its economics has declined at a faster pace than any other peacetime economy worldwide. Venezuela didn't have a natural, remember Venezuela didn't have like a natural thing going on or like a tsunami or like a hurricane, nothing. This was all government. And what happens here, and then he explains it here. It says, the country of Venezuela sits and owns the largest oil reserves in the world. Oil helps 
explain the rent-seeking behavior that is the root of this crisis. And then he explains what is the rent-seeking. It's simply getting money from the government for the oil it sells and giving little, little or nothing back to the government in return. Well, it's just taking, 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 you don't reinvest, and then the oil prices drops, and yeah, that's exactly what happened. And then he says here, however, oil cannot be blamed for this crisis. It helped Venezuela get out of the poverty trap and become a modern democratic society in the 20th century. The crisis comes from the per, per, uh, per, perverse combination, I love that word, perverse combination of bad politics, bad policy, and corruption that besides the country over the last 20 years. Since he was elected in 1998, Hugo Chavez paved the way to the authoritarian, oh my God, this word so hard, authoritarianism, I think I say it right, while making the economy more vulnerable to the ups and downs of oil prices. So this is basically how he explains, and then I'm gonna put the, the I'm putting the article here in the bottom, so you understand how bad the economy, um, you know, has gone down. I'm gonna read you this part. Uh, short termism and ignorance killed the golden goose. All production fell from three million barrels a day in 1998 to 1.5 million in 2017 and continues plunging. It might close a 600,000 barrels a day by year end. Remember, this is 2019 before COVID. So you can see here that now the oil production is being decreased, decreased, and in Venezuela, you don't have gas and you have to take a country that basically has the, the largest reserves in the world. You have to do lines to do gas. And of course, imagine you're a doctor, I have a cousin and she's a doctor and I see her on Instagram the whole time and she's incredible. And I see her, one day she was like videotaping the line that she had to do in order to put gas. And I was thinking, how many lives are not being taken care of by her because she's a doctor? Because her time, so imagine how inefficient then the economy becomes because this labor, like this human labor person, instead of being producing and saying, okay, I can take care of you, I can take care of you, this person had to be stuck doing traffics, right? Like lines of, like a lane, a lane for hours to get gas. So you can see that it's just one thing gets the other one and the other one and the other one and it just becomes a disaster. So in the Great Depression, the U.S. economy shrank by 30% and lasted only three years. Intense hyperinflation has impoverished Venezuelan society since 2018. Okay, listen to this. The, this is 2019. The annual inflation ra rate heads towards, are you ready? 500,000% this year. Half a million, half a million percent, no 50, no 500, 500,000% this year. In the past 20 years, 60% of the companies that existed in 1999 closed. The minimum wage is $3 a month. 90% of the population in Venezuela is poor and 15% of children are at risk of dying from malnutrition. And then he goes on here. I'm not going to even go through it because it's just all the numbers are like 
extremely sad. Like this is just extremely sad. So then he says here, what went wrong? He explains here basically also foreign policy in this area of the article. And he basically explains how just this relationship between Cuba, Venezuela, and then you also have United States, you know, and, and you, 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 it's just the oil. Everyone does all what they want, the oil, right? The black gold. And once uh, Chavez in, in the, so he says here, in the early 2003, Chavez took control of uh, PDVSA, PDVSA, Petróleos de Venezuela, the national oil company, after firing 20,000 of its highly skilled managers and workers. I'm gonna tell you, I remember I was in the university, La Universidad Católica Andres Bello, La UCAP. At that time, I was doing my first year of economics. And when he took over, my mom said, you have to go. This is, you're not gonna have a future. At this point, my brother was already having an engineer career in La, in La Simón Bolívar. So it wasn't like, it was either him or me or me first. Like one of us had to go. And because he already had been in the university for so long, then I was the one that, you know, was chosen to say, okay, you have to leave because you've only done one year of the university. It's not going to be bad. But of course, when I came to the United States, I had to take like a whole year of catching up between English, English classes, reading, reading classes, because I had a good English, but not as good to write essays, to communicate, and to take the TOEFL. So yeah, I went through the whole thing. And I always remember being 20, 21 and thinking, wow, oh, it's going to take me like two more years to then start over from the beginning. And my friends are already graduating while I'm like beginning, you know, to start. So I remember thinking a lot about that, but it is what it is, you know, things happen for a reason, like always, you know, like, like I would say. So I remember that there has been a huge decline in Venezuela, obviously. Um, he talks about here, and this is the end of the article, what is, what's next? How do we fix the situation? It's just so simple. The road to recovery starts with politics. Maduro's departure is the prerequisite for free and fair elections that brings new leaders to powers. Reforms can only succeed if they are carried out by new leadership with a robust political standing so that reforms can take place democratically and with conviction because these changes will neither be quick nor easy. Very, very true. I think um, if you really want to know about what happened in Venezuela, I highly recommend this article. Very, very well put very compressed, explains exactly, you know, like the, the important objective parts of the situation in Venezuela. I, I can tell you, I think I have been reading also a lot about blockchain technology, which they say that this might also help with elections, fairness of elections, just like, you know, Bitcoin and because the way how they work, right, because of the technology. So I'm looking forward to see there has to be an end of this because everything that goes up just goes down and I, whatever, whatever will happen only in Venezuela, but all South America, South America is going through a major crisis. We all need to talk about it. We all need to be aware of it because it's not about worrying about your neighbor. When you start seeing that most of your neighborhoods are starting to collapse and you say, 
they're far away, it starts getting very contagious. And that's what is very, very important to always remember, understand the things that have happened to other countries so the history does not repeat again. I really hope you enjoyed this um, podcast about the math behind Venezuela. And I, I, am, I, I have family still in Venezuela. I cannot wait to go back to Venezuela and just breathe that, you know, I don't know. It's just, you know, just to go back once and show my daughter where, where I was born. The beautiful things. Venezuela is so beautiful. Caracas is so beautiful when it comes to natural resources. Like you can be in your house and all of a sudden you have like this beautiful bird coming into your patio. You're like, what? It's just so beautiful. There's so much nature. We have El Avila, which is a huge mountain. We're on a valley, Caracas. There's just so many memories and so many beautiful things. So I just want to end up this with a positive note. I do think that we can all, anyone that has a little bit of feelings, you know, towards Venezuela, and they can do always something and think like, you know what? I'm going to do something good today because when someone says like, oh, you're not from here, you're from Venezuela, and they're like, oh, wow, that person <laughs> did something good. So maybe that is a good country. So I think always, uh, not in general, generally when people hear an accent, the first thing they ask me is like, where are you from? And I live in a very Americanized area. So when I tell them Venezuela, they're just like, they're like Venezuela? Usually people think I'm Russian because there's a lot of Russians too. And I guess our accent might match sometimes. And when I tell them that, they look surprised because they have this image that Venezuela, what do you mean Venezuela? It's just, you know, and over the years, I've been here for 22 years and I love uh, United States and I love Venezuela. I think I just love any country. We all live, you know, this is like where we live, where we, where we exist and it has to stop, but whatever. Thank you so much. Have a good day and I'll see you next time.